What is this thing? If I am provided an item in my hand, I immediately try and determine what that item might be. There is a part of myself that needs to know, needs to find out exactly what it is that has been placed in my hands. I want to determine its properties right away with no need for gray areas to make their way in. It needs to be absolute. I have to get to the point and figure it out. Once this has been accomplished, I can move on with my day and go to the next thing which is looking to be categorized and determined, to be found out. But what if we were handed an item and instead we wondered what it might be, or what it could be, about the potentialities? What are the possibilities of this item that we have just been given? Maybe we're not concerned with the properties so much, but with how I can engage and understand the item. How I can relate to this thing I have been provided. This thing which I have yet to come to know. Perhaps I can understand the item which is here at this present time and keep trying to understand it as time moves on. Perhaps I leave the conclusion open so that the possibility for it to change and morph remains within the item. It's as if the only way we can allow this item to become, to be something else, is by recognizing a core part of it that is invisible to us. Here we are really trying to see with clear eyes, not viewing it for what it normally might be at first glance, instead being grounded in its ever-changing complexity. In this, we release ourselves of the need to determine its whatness, opening a world of no limits. We are no longer constrained, placed in the box of the everyday. The Basic Premise For too long we have focused on the whatness of things. We are constantly concerned with what that thing actually is, utilizing numbers and figures to compile a precise definition, and know exactly what it might be, or at least pretend to do so. And although this type of approach is necessary within the objective observations of the scientific world, we are finding how this type of attitude has made its way into the realm of psychology, causing great difficulties due to the almost indisputable fact that the totality of the psyche is completely unobjective in its properties, in that we cannot objectively observe what the psyche is, as its absolute nature is unknown. It is leading us to a place in which we are looking to branch off from psychology and move closer to what I would like to call sapienology or the study of what makes a human a human. It is a field which has been explored by different disciplines in the past, namely philosophy, metaphysics, existentialism, and the like, but we are going to approach it in a new and different way. However, I digress. The point is that everywhere in the human social sphere, we are utilizing whatness to determine what is out there in the material world. Within this framework, each person is being primarily determined by what they are. Is someone a doctor? Is someone a lawyer? Is someone black? Is someone white? Is someone male or female? Is someone broke? Is someone rich? These are categories of identity, but first and foremost, they are the whatness of a thing. And just like within science, we are using them as the chief determining factor of the entity we encounter. The what has become that which defines the person. So this is where sapienology comes into the equation. The study of what makes a human a human has this question at the center of its pursuits. Is it the what which makes a human, 
or the how? And what questions must we ask to help determine the answer to this basic question? And you may guess where this is headed already, but before we get there, let's take a detour into a conversation about determinism and free will. Are we free humans? A long heated debate and one that has begun to ramp up again in recent years is whether humans have any free will or not. One half of that argument would claim that all things are just cause and effect, that we have been determined by the past and that our future will also be determined by what has already occurred. It claims that there is no budging from the cause and effect chain that started so long ago. Many side with this argument denying that there is anything we can do to change what is going to occur in the future. It is all inevitable, and we are all just a cog in this big working machine of a universe. I think this is a fair argument and one that everyone must have with themselves and others if they want to hold any weight in philosophical matters. And although I don't act as if I will solve this historical dilemma, I do hope to propose an idea that might interest some minds. It seems to me that many of those who deny free will and believe in determinism tend to be atheistic individuals denying belief in any type of deity or god. But we must ask ourselves, why don't these people believe in some higher power? Why are they opposed to the thought that there might be something else beyond ourselves? My theoretical answer to this question is that this belief in a godless universe is a result of individuals who feel stuck in their alienated existence. It's because they feel trapped. They feel as if they are on a wheel that they cannot escape, while also not knowing how to escape the revolutions. They are enmeshed in this stuckness, and they sense the desperation that it entails. They secretly know that they are cut off from greater powers, and so they chalk it up to the absence of God, and that they themselves are the result of an already determined universe. They see events as moving without any order or purpose and that things just happen. They reduce it all down to cause and effect. Who is part of the what? But what is the essence of that which these believers in lack of free will feel stuck within? It essentially boils down to how they view the universe through the whatness of it all. These are the scientists. These are the logicians. These are the rationalists. These are the people who perpetrate and exacerbate the reliance on the what. They want to know the exactness of things, and if they aren't given these answers, they throw up their hands in disgust and become dismayed. All efforts are towards some illusion of preciseness which they will never grasp. It becomes a cruel game for them because searching through the what inevitably leads to the endless void of new conclusions and definitions. As time moves on, the bar is always moved and their theories are debunked and thrown into the garbage. And when they cannot reach the conclusions they so desperately desire, they are forced to take a stand, and it is the position that there is nothing beyond ourselves. They have become exasperated, and feel that if they cannot know exactly what that thing is, then there must not be anything besides chaos and randomness. It's as if they have been forced into this position because they cannot prove anything else with certainty. Their insistence on logic has taken them to the endpoint of rationality, and that place is one in which there is nothing beyond ourselves. We have no choice, that it is all random. Don't mistake me though. Those caught in the what also include the overly emotional and excessive feeling types. 
They seem opposite to the rationalists as they lack any structure, logic, and order. But this lack of coherency shows how they are just as lost as our logicians and scientists. They can also be atheists due to the chaos that is within their lives, but more likely, they believe in a whacked out version of God which has no personal connection to the way they live their life. They are the zealous preachers who look to convert others to their cause, even though they have little to no idea of what their actual cause may be due to their complete lack of inner integrity. They are the ones who are focused on the outward appearance of what God may be, believing that participating in church service and talking explicitly about your faith is the thing which connects you to a higher power. They focus on the what of religion and spirituality, the outward external markers of it, the representations which become mistaken for the real thing. They are so caught in the appearance, in what the thing is supposed to be, that they lose any semblance of a core ordering principle that is essential for living. Stuck in the past whatness. Irvim Yalam asks us, if we are fully determined by the past, whence comes the ability to change? It's a formidable question and one that ties directly into our current conversation. When we get caught in the what of who we are, as we have reviewed already, the past is defined, packaged, and neatly sorted out. There is no question to be had at all because we already know who we are based on what has occurred in the time that has passed. We ourselves become a self-fulfilling prophecy who continues to do it the same way it's always been done. We are what we thought we were, and this notion perpetuates itself into infinity. But what if we aren't who we thought we were, and instead we let our whatness drop away? We drop the labels, we drop the definitions, we drop the boxes and narratives that we have constructed and have been constructed for us. Maybe this is what Yalom was talking about. It's the bifurcation point when the ability to change comes in. It's a split from that whatness, the place of quantity and numbers which have already been determined, and a traveling towards the unknown of the howness, the place of quality, of spirit, of that which is prone to constantly change on a curved line. The way when a person moves through the stages of change that in the early stages they are primarily concerned with labels and static definitions. They see themselves as a concrete item that is indisputable. Whereas the individual who is at the end stages have come to see themselves as very loosely or not at all based on previously held constructs. It no longer becomes who I am but how am I, and how is this? How is this present moment and my ever-changing life? Counter-argument But can I argue the opposing point and say that those who are atheists, non-believers and free will, even the chaotic ones of the what, that they are all justified? I can, because it's easy to believe that we are all thrown existentially into the whatness. We are all placed into lives which we did not necessarily choose and given properties which are kind of random and kind of bizarre. We are all thrown into this place as a certain form of entity, without a choice in the matter of what or who we are. It causes many to spend life wondering about why I am this or that, why has it come out this way, all aspects of the what of our being. We wonder why it couldn't be this way, or why the universe was not that way. The identity, the definitions, the exactness of it all searching for alternate universes which are not our own, 
seeking worlds that do not exist. One of the most common questions is why, and there is no answer available. But that's the trap right there. That's the snare. That's the thing we can't get rid of. The constantly asking why and what for. Needing to have a definite answer. Needing to know what it's all about and where it's all headed. Needing to rid ourselves of this terrible anxiety that comes along with life and everything it possesses. We are unable to accept the things as they are, so we keep wondering why and for what. And when we don't get an answer, we deny the existence of God and we deem the universe to be unkind and cruel. But this is where we come to the crux of the argument and the literal and figurative heart of what we are exploring in sapienology. The only way to escape the whatness, to escape the focus on the quantitative number game, to get away from what and why we are, to rid ourselves of identities and definitions, to get closer to the aspect of life which makes a human a human, we must instead move towards the world of the howness. The world of the how. Howness is a different world altogether. Howness is another mode of existence. Howness no longer argues with the universe. Howness no longer wonders why I am this way. Howness rids ourselves of static definitions and labels of concrete facts. Howness separates from attempts to attain status, the thing of status which aims to prove who we are and validate our existence, to perpetuate the what of us. The how is not concerned with these things because it accepts what it and the universe is. It deals with what it is, does not try to change what it is. And when one begins to accept how things are and what they are, and how so little of the what can be changed, the individual instead becomes more concerned with how they do things. They begin focusing on what things are actually like, and not how we would like them to be. It gets in touch with the feeling and sense of things, as its primary focus is the meaning a thing possesses or can possess, as opposed to how the thing can be named. The how rejects the need for a thing to be classified and ordered and placed in a hierarchy. It rejects the social conventions which place it in a position and do not allow it to escape the stranglehold. The how looks towards the possibility of what could be, through constantly addressing how one handles the situation in the current time and place. The how is contextual and based on the whole situation, so therefore it is always changing and adjusting and fitting itself to what the moment calls for at the time. The how knows that the only thing that matters in the fullest sense of reality is how we handle each passing second when it presents itself to us, and that this handling can in fact change all outcomes including the what of one's situation. We can see in our current day and age why we must consider this distinction between the how and the what. How many times do we have to experience people in high positions whom are seen as important and reputable based on their title and outward characteristics, based on their whatness, when in actuality they are found to be scumbags and lowlifes, people we would never trust if we actually knew the how of their existence. Yet we continue to tout those based on their what. If you are a doctor, if you are a teacher, if you are a fireman, you are instantly considered to be good and right and well-to-do. But this is obviously not true, and is part of the illusion of the what. 
because some title or position you have has nothing to do with the quality which is provided by that person. We face the issue of trying to gain precise definitions and understandings based on a thing's whatness, but we are finding that this is only a mask which covers a thing's real quality, their howness. Reflecting back, one might ask now, but why does this all matter in regards to free will and determinism? It relates back to the fact that although we don't get to choose the conditions of the life we are given, we do get a chance to live it in a particular way of our choosing. It's as if we are placed in all these positions and are made into people without our will, but that doesn't mean we don't get to choose how to live as these particular people. We get to decide the how, not the what, the type of person we will be in these circumstances, the type of life we will live as this person. It makes me think of the idea of being yourself or finding your true self and similar conceptions. And what you tend to find is people trying to change the outwardness, the what of who they are, to find this self. They change their clothing or their job or the place they live or their spouse. They try some new diet, they go on a retreat, they take a big trip. People may even change their gender, their sexual orientation, they get plastic surgery and change their face or their body. They believe that they will find their true self through these external markers. But it's all just caught in the what of what we are meant to accept. And by trying to change our whatness, we just go down the wrong path. We never learn to deal effectively with the what of ourselves and the universe, the real way towards that true self. Many people think that they are going to find some great life that is not theirs. They want to be a different person and at a different place. They want to be the best version of themselves, but this usually means a false version of who they really are. This is the emptiness of the what. It tries to make us chase after what we are not and be someone else, to hurry after the titles and accolades of the outer world the validations that we think will keep us content. But to be in line with what you are given, to truly be yourself and not someone else, to accept it all and try to do your best with the given, this is the world of the how. That is the life of meaning, of purpose, of something which is in touch with a thing beyond ourselves, with a deeper reality than most will ever come to know. Because when we get in touch with the how of our lives, we tap into powers that were long dormant and existing prior to our residence in this world. The how is a primary place, whereas the what is secondary and added on to the end. The world of the what kept us shut off. It kept us in the feeling of being stuck, of being restricted to the what of it all, a prison of our own construction. While in the how, we allow ourselves to dive into the realities of the self and the power of something that is unrealized within the what. Axiomatic Principles Getting back to the idea of free will and the ways that it is denied due to the stickiness and confinement of the world of the what. Many consider free will as the ability to choose between different paths and options, that we can do either this thing or that. There is a presupposition that having free will means having some ultimate power in certain conditions, in what will transpire, to affect an outcome. And maybe the atheists and believers in determinism have some understanding here, because they are finding that you ultimately have no choice 
between the paths you are given and that many of these outcomes have already been decided. They are finding it hopeless to change conditions of their life only through choices. That the choices get you nowhere. But these are the choices within the world of the what. They are based on the what I am choosing versus how I am choosing. They view it through the quantitative actions and not the quality of said action. This is all helping us to realize that the real aspect of free will and the way we should be approaching free will resides within the world of the how. It is a type of free will which proposes to the person that the only thing which matters is how they go about their life, about how one navigates the inevitable situations and hardships that are going to come upon them, how one chooses to deal with the circumstances they have been thrown into. Your free will in the world of the how comes down to the quality of that which you do, no matter what it is that you do. It's about something which is not tangible, not graspable, not necessarily measurable in scientific terms. It's a thing that eludes the world of the what, not a whatness, but a howness. It makes me think about Kant's thing in itself. Perhaps it's the essence, the being, the usia, the vitality, the spirit of it all. It's something which cannot be seen with plain eyes, which cannot be directly referred to in plain, denotative language. It's something which we might know, but can't put a finger on. We can sense it, but being able to fully grasp it eludes our abilities. So this proves all the more confusing to the world of the what, which is operating within a very different schema. It all resembles a cosmic law, the law that determines your way through life. It falls away from the beliefs of Western religion and it veers more towards the Eastern ways. With ideas like Dharma, Samsara, with Nirvana, with Rita, with Karma. It's about the type of life we choose to live, not the life we desire or strive after. It's about what happens when we choose the life we are given with the utmost integrity, rather than our egos chasing after some other way. It's the attempt to break out of cycles which we don't deal with, the often repeating circumstances of our life. Focusing on the what keeps us in the cycles, but when we accept and deal with the events properly, we enter the how. We may be coming to a concluding point now, a different kind of conclusion than resides in the what, because it is not absolute and is not exact and definable. It still evades our total comprehension and so most would say it is no conclusion at all. We may consider that maybe our notion of free will is being reformulated along with our recognition of the need to reside within the how. We must deny the ability to choose, the ability to determine anything through our own decisions, denying even the understanding of why or what for. We must instead focus only on how we go about things, how we live life. We must reject the need for a goal or outcome of the situation, rather centering ourselves back to what is here with us now, what is in front of our faces. We must deny any possible path in front and only accept the present as it is, and to live this present moment as best as we can. But by denying the possibility to choose and leaving ourselves in the hands of the present howness of it all, we may in turn open up a path to freedom. It's a freedom that is opened up to us without our choosing.
We only choose the how, so the freedom does not come by our own accord. We are not the ones who are doing it. It is handed to us by our accepting of the circumstances and doing what we can with them. It is given to us by releasing our attempts to direct life this way or that and instead allow all of those directions to be guided by something beyond ourselves. We only serve as a tool, a facilitator, one who attempts to do our best to come into accord with how it should all be done and conducted. It's as if this is the only thing that will open up new possibilities, new ways, new destinies, new fates. This is the only type of free will there is. It is the only thing we can control. It is the only way to get away from the stuckness we referred to earlier, to escape the wheel of the mundane, to go with the right and proper way of things. It is all based on how we deal with what we have been given. And perhaps if we deal with what we have in the proper way, we will be given something more than we ever could have imagined. Some type of new life which allows the will of the universe to act with complete freedom in and through our permission.